0: Welcome to ArchNet Sessions, episode 61. I'm Paul, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Amelia, Donna, and Ken. This week, we're talking with Patrick Schumacher, longtime employee, collaborator, and business partner with the late Zaha Adid. Patrick shares his earliest memories meeting and working for Zaha, insight into her personal life, and his plan for the direction of the firm under his new leadership after the loss of the iconic founder and creative director of the practice. Let's listen to that conversation now.
1: So, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We just would also like to extend our condolences to you and and the firm on behalf of Archonnect about the loss of Zaha. And we're very glad that you were able to join us today on the podcast to talk about the future of the firm and just how reflecting on her life and work. I was wondering if you could maybe start out by sharing with us some early or perhaps the first memories you have with Zaha. Do you remember the first time you met her?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean... I had heard about Zaha first of all, when I was a young student in Stuttgart in the mid-80s, and I've uh, seen some of the first publications coming out that really became, were kind of a shock of revelation. There was this brochure called Planetary Architecture, which was published by the AA, which showed up in our university library. And I think there was also some other articles in in newspapers. That's the first I saw. And then uh, in 85, I think uh, uh, there was the GA Global Architecture coming out with all the early works, including the peak. Uh, it was really opening up the discipline in my imagination to something totally unheard of and unseen, gave it a new dimension of what architecture might be and might become. And I was fascinated. And not so much later, I made my way to London and became a student there. And I saw Zaha for the first time in person at the 1988 pre-conference anticipating the MoMA deconstructivist show. And I had been aware of the, the work which was then to be called Deconstructivism, obviously it's through the work of Zaha, Bernard Schumi, and Korp These were the, the references I was getting into in Stuttgart. And then when I came to London at the South Bank, there was an earlier publication where some of this work was was shown under the title of the New Spirit in Architecture and Architectural Review magazine. And my teacher at the Spring, Kevin Robert, was also part of that group. And for us at the time, Zaharid was the absolute hotshot kind of figure. But we hadn't, account, hadn't encountered her. She wasn't teaching at the AA anymore, although I was, a, I was hanging around the AA for seminars and lectures. So I first saw her at the Tate conference. And... So I knew, knew her work already, but what convinced me at, at that moment was her openness, frankness, genuineness, compared with all the other protagonists who were speaking, like Liebeskin, Trumi, um, Eisenman, who were more, uh, I would think, relatively speaking to Zaha's genuineness, where she was revealing how she's working, what she's working, and what she was thinking. They were more in turn of, in a, in a, in a kind of showing off game. So I had a lot of sympathy for her on top of having that that admiration for the enigma of her work, which was still kind of an enigma for me at the time. So right there, uh, I had just think it was uh, just finishing my 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 year at the South Bank and uh, decided to stay in London. I was still a student. I had to still go back finally to, to Stuttgart to finish, but I did this some years later because I joined the office in that fall, or summer. And so this was a very, very small studio, single room, which still is one of the rooms in our current offices where I just knocked on the door and presented myself with my portfolio, Uh, not to her, but to one of uh, the few employees, actually at the time chief designer, Michael Wolfson, who interviewed me and hired me on the spot.
1: So it it progressed pretty quickly from... You first getting to meet her in person and then finding yourself working with her.
2: Uh, Very fast, yeah.
1: And so how did you, you know, you had this impression of her outside and a very impressed one at that. And how did that, when you actually came to work with her and get closer to her professionally, how did your perspective of her working style change?
2: Well, I had never worked except as an intern in in a kind of boring German corporate firm. And I didn't have many conceptions. I maybe had certain myths about uh, what it would be like. And they were pretty quickly scattered or shattered, let's say. <laughs> and it was initially uh, quite surprising how small the, the place was, that there was actually no work to be, to be done, that we were uh, like, I think it was like five people all together. And that initially Zaha would show up uh, relatively late and we would, uh, she would tease her employees and we, we would be seemingly not work. <laughs> and also, curiously, uh, my, as a new employee in a very, in a single space hired by this guy Michael, uh, my existence wasn't recognized for the first three weeks. She didn't even say hello to me. So <laughs> that was an interesting shock, but I was going to playing along. And I think i forgot. now. I was working just on drawings. There was actually, an, wasn't a project in the office, but there was um, an exhibition forthcoming for for the Berliner Aedes Gallery. This was on Berlin and the divided Berlin, and we created this one of those cityscape drawings. And I was put onto constructing these kind of multi-perspective, distorted, let's say, soft grid field cityscape uh, with the wall just kind of Jagging across the painting, which when became a painting. So I was, which was then elaborated. So that, uh, and, uh, so this is what we created. And I was brand new in this fabulous firm and I was sent out to Berlin to represent Zahadid uh, at AIDS. And I felt very cool and, and great, but I still was puzzled about the whole atmosphere, this super casualness and hardly any talk about ideas at all. And so that was a bit of a shock. And then when, but suddenly we, we had a competition which we were homing in on. This was in also a competition in Berlin for multi-use complex with, with uh, into an existing block condition with, with the hotel offices retail. And suddenly uh, the, the place came to life and we started working on something, discussing options, proliferating ideas. And the, the little office of five employees mushroomed into a large group of 20, 25 with all Sorts of ex students, friends who used to work at a time, maybe in in other offices or teach at the Bartlett, etc. They 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 just came together and became this this big team. Now, charretting deadlines, all nighters, and with big Chinese meals shared, etc. There was a totally intensive experience. So after the first three four week of doing nothing, and, and we suddenly were were in production mode, and for a long time it was always always like this kind of ebb and flow and and basically one project at a time, one competition at a time, until actually I think it was at the end of the year, the beginning of the next year, Raoul Faber from Vita stepped in and uh, it was just... Zaha, this guy, Michael, myself, and one other person, and I ended up being given the project, and uh, Michael was also, he was a very talented designer, who, who and both Zaha and Michael had an extensive social life across London, so they would show up late and leave early, and I was left to work late hours to, to, to struggle with the design, which took very long, but uh, which was my first experience of uh, designing something which wasn't a competition. So that was the the early days, let's say, And uh, but in these... In these kind of um, charrette modes, when we worked together and and fought over designs, and then would also Zaha would pull all nighters with us, we would then kind of just go back home, take a shower, and take the flight to deliver the work or present the work. This in a very very small group, we became very close very quickly. And uh, what was unusual, I was hardly there a few months that the her chief guy was uh, left the office. He he he, he set up on his own. And somehow, I got suddenly more responsibility and, and became kind of a lead figure just having having landed there. Of course, then there was at competitions again. People she, who had been working with her on earlier projects all the way back to the peak, and students of her from the from from earlier years would would join and 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 become a force. But that was, and we we did uh, work like this for, for 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 many years. In fact, with. Sometimes there seemed to be a project like the Düsseldorf project with a real client, and at that point we started to hire and the the office mushroomed up to 20 people actually employed, and then it would kind of sink back to the handful of people. It happened again with Cardiff. So basically, from 88 to the late 90s, that decade was we only had Vitra and this other building in Weilham Rhein, two little buildings, if I remember. Uh, completed and the whole decade was otherwise these kind of abortive projects or lost competitions.
0: Patrick, going back to the, the early days when you first started working at Zaha's office, you mentioned that there was very little work and there wasn't much to do. Did you feel that or, or get the sense that Zaha had the ambition of becoming one of the world's greatest, most uh, well-recognized architects from the beginning, back when there wasn't really that much work to show for her?
2: Yes, I think so, and I mean because I mean first of all, the peak was a major milestone and the competition win against the whole lineup of top architects and has been and if you look at this competition and she actually reworked all the drawings and paintings and built up this project after the competition into this absolutely compelling suite of of renderings and perspectives with each of the projects there was this incredible urge to be to beat everybody to show absolute excellence and perfectionism and uh, there was an incredible drive and also therefore force of energy which could at times also explode into negative energy best because the will to succeed and excel was so so immense so and she always felt to be this kind of Larger than life star figure. She she always. She, I think she was a star as a student already uh, in her own mind and in the mind of her peers and and teachers. And this was definitely a sense we had. And we we and also my person. I mean, as I said, she was a star in the academic world. That's why I went there. And uh, you know, we we from the beginning, even though we didn't have much built work, all our efforts, lost competitions were published in one way or another. We had a lot of publishing and exhibitions there was the ICA show there was an the early moma show then the aedes berlin whatever we did we felt was had the intention of the architectural discipline and that kept us motivating and initially as me as a young student and, and young architect i was this was enough satisfaction i didn't have that killer drive to build i just wanted to make a dent and help making a dent in the discipline and be push that forward of course it was great to build we and, and, and have Philip Johnson showing up at the opening and, and other young architects like Herzog, Jacques Herzog was there and many people came from all over the world. That was, of course, wonderful too. That, that was a, ma- a milestone. But still, we, the, the other competitions, I mean, I think Zaha suffered much more uh, on the Cardiff loss and the Düsseldorf loss. Yes, she really wanted to build and these were large signature projects on waterfronts uh, which were to be realized. And so she had that killer instinct at that time. And, and I developed it much later in, in the, let's say the late 90s after having lost a series of uh, major competitions and also was start, had started DRL in 96. And we had taught a number of studios, first in Columbia and then in and Harvard in Chicago all through the early to mid 90s. That was my world. I was more the ideas world, the the, the world of peers, of shining in, uh, in front of peers and not yet... For me, I wasn't so interested. It didn't make, for me, much difference. Is it a build and photos of the build or drawings, renderings, and then quite soon also computer renderings and models, which were pushing the discipline forward. Only towards the end of the 90s, I I, I somehow changed tech and said, okay, we've lost now. We've done this. Now I want to really get one of those. And that was when we slightly scaled back. The ambition became more conscientious and aiming to win also on my part, and then we nailed three major competitions: the Rome competition, Cincinnati competition, and Wolfsburg competition. And one year later, Salerno competition. By the way, which is opening 16 years later now. This was a, was a conscious effort to now all this research and, and, and flourish and flamboyance to bring home and into compelling winning schemes. And we and that was happened at the, in 98, 99.
1: So, Patrick, you also mentioned earlier um, about you being more concerned with the ideas aspect of the practice and Zaha be having what you say the killer drive and that is something that you kind of developed later. But I'm wondering then how that balance of focuses between the two of you got translated into your collaborative relationship later on.
2: Yeah, we, we incorporated in 1999 as also a limited company and I was the director of the company from uh, we were the two directors of the company from that Time on when we also started to build or have real projects.
1: So how did you just in terms of within the office and communicating between the two of you, how did that relationship kind of change and how would you collaborate together?
2: Well, what was fascinating was and, and I think Zaha as a way of working, I think from the very beginning, even before the peak uh, uh, whether it was the Irish Prime Ministers, I think which was our first signature building or design, where she came out with a unique voice in the field. Uh, that was in 1979, 1980. She was teaching at the AA, and she always worked with, with, with friends and students. And I know from, also the, from what I've experienced and also projecting back, that it was always a very collaborative collective effort where a lot of uh, creative energies flourish, and everybody has a shot at the design. There isn't somebody, Zaha, uh, kind of, in controlling, but encouraging a, f- a flourish of alternatives and then steering this into kind of a, uh, in, 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 and, and that, that was kept going less and is still like this. Maybe different from some of the other star architects. That's maybe where the work is, is more diverse and proliferous. Perhaps let's say compared to somebody like maybe Daniel Liebeskind or maybe Frank, who I have the feeling are more uh, themselves authoring these designs. And that wasn't Zaha's way. Zaha's way was, um, there was an overall repertoire expansion, a set of values and references, and a lot of um, parallel sketching and, and 3D modeling and model making and all sorts of media. And the design could pop out from anywhere. And it was also a, a collective debating about this, always very highly collective uh, in, 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 in the process. And that, I think, uh, made it stimulating and and also allowed us all to to be so involved and engaged. And we worked, literally, I worked for a whole decade, rarely went home before midnight. But that was not only me, that was a large group of people. And that's been her style.
0: Patrick, I think it's safe to say that Zaha was a... Was a very strong person. I mean, nobody can can achieve the kind of success that she could without a lot of strength and, and focus in her work. And I think that a lot of people, especially within the architecture degree, may have considered her to be invincible to criticism or you know easy to uh, to to wave off criticism. How how did she take criticism in the press, and also um, how did she how did she take failures? You know, when when your office did not win a, a competition that you were really going for.
2: Well, yes, I mean. Um... She didn't take it so light, lightly. She, she was hit hard by, by negative criticism all the way through. And a particular uh, loss of a project like Cardiff was very, very hard, but, but very negative critique. And she felt misunderstood. And, and it, it really was a downer and she really took it to heart. So I'm very different. I, I don't know. I never touched me. I have a very thick skin, which maybe allowed me also to, to bear the, uh, the intensity inside the office. Which was uh, because of the, the the strong urge to get things original and excellent at the same time and perfect, very very intense. I could kind of put my head down and and, and pull through. And uh, my role was also a lot of times to to somehow turn the corner when instead of keeping pushing and changing the ideas and and diagrams and and, and options to a certain point. Nearly uh, funnel the work and make selections and decision into a submission. So Zaha's uh, perfectionism and and anxiety about of, of doing something truly unique and and overpowering sometimes meant that she nearly was always at the verge of not submitting, of brinkmanship, let's say, in in terms of deadlines and what she wanted to achieve. So so. <laughs> Uh, is an interesting psychology, but what I found interesting when we work together that this kind of, uh, I'm a very quiet personality and, and I'm, I'm, I'm leading and convincing in a different way, but that pressure cooker that we're, the office, I found it, I knew instinctively I could have never created this, but then I could help channeling that energy and do something constructive and empowering with it. That was one thing in terms of her personality versus my personality. It was a very good match. But also, of course, Zara has an, an incredible innovative force. The originality of her repertoire expansions are truly monumental, I believe. I mean, you have to remember that what architecture was and some of the moves which became then possibilities and new degrees of freedom in the compositional search for solutions, for instance, is kind of the an architect usually would have been sketching with a kind of jittery line trying to trace an imagined trajectory, create a rectangle, create an axis. You know, these kind of typical architectural drawings and, and, and her drawings is always with a super rapid hand movement, which, which generates these flying-like accelerations, decelerations, continuously shifting curvature. So they're like kind of calligraphy signature, rapid, uh, rapid lines, and they create a totally new kind of curvilinearity, uh, which has this dynamism, this gradient, the line would swell and thin. She would also work with fading effects and, and gradients in a way through pointillistic techniques of paintings, through washing of paintings. These features gave a whole new morphology into architecture, a whole new ordering concept, like, for instance, gradients.
0: Is, is, was her design technique uh, and artistic approach to designing unique to her in the office? Did she, did other people in the office learn this technique from her? And did she continue working with her hands up until the end?
2: Well, yes, we all were invited into the. This was basically a parallel process in this early design. She was, was sketching away with with ink brush or ink pen and fading,s and incredibly sure and fast, hard approach. But she, for instance, would shy away although she could the three dimensional projections because there you have to let's say be have a more careful and elaborate approach and and you build up for try and error a more complex three-dimensional, let's say, sketching and rendering. She rarely did this. She, she usually worked in a 2D indication of a certain compositional or, or spatiality recipe or aesthetic approach. And then we would, we would do that as well, but we then would, the, the team would then elaborate this into, into 3D, into models, into uh, perspectival trajectories, and also hardlining. This and the way we did what was interesting. So usually, when you when you look at bubble diagram and sketching, uh, the intention is the hard lining, rationalize it back into straights and arcs, rectangles, cylinders, and circles. But the way we translated hand sketches was with the utmost literalness of maintaining the 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 tension and dynamism of these lines. So we had we worked with this huge array of French curves, ship curves. We had all she also had whole sets specially made for herself and for us. So to absolutely trace and yeah, hardline what the sketch delivered because the sketch and delivers a physics nearly because the centrifugal and centripetal, the force of the of the rapid movement of the sketch gives it a kind of dynamism, so ultimately it comes out of the physics and that gives it its law and logic, a little bit like the, the splines coming out of elastic bending of of, of strips here, there's an underlying physics which gives gives order to the to the complexity of of, of the lines. So that's that's the way we work. And this is not. I don't think anybody has ever done this. Even a uh, niemeyer who has who's maybe one of the few precursors we looked at closely. In the end, if you analyze Niemeyer's work closely, everything is rationalized into straights and arcs. And here we went, uh, and also indicating a lot of double curved surfaces already. And this is, was still under the headline of you know, the so-called deconstructivist phase. No, we've pointed already far beyond that into what later on became what I now call parametriism, which became folding in the early 90s. And we also started to use computers quite early. I actually had experience with, with, with programming computers already at the University in Stuttgart, then at the South Bank. In the office, we didn't have computers initially. So we, we and we, we brought in a kind of model shop, little Mac, and we started... Not doing doing the plans in the computer, but uh, just the 3D modeling and perspectival work. And what we did, we used the Xerox machine to to distort plans into isometric conditions. Or we, we pulled drawings across the Xerox machine while it was Xerox and to have the, the kind of smear and curve effect together with the distortion effect. Before we went into, you know, software tools, which started in the early 90s. Patrick,
3: you said something earlier when you were talking about Zaha's hand sketches that I thought was particularly uh, beautiful. Uh, you were talking about the acceleration, deceleration, and her curvature. And it, when you started talking about her hand and, and when she was crafting the lines, it kind of reminded me in a very strong sense of her and her presence in, in the firm and in the architectural world. It always struck me that Whenever zaha it always appeared to me at least that when she would walk into a room, the room would stop and she had such a presence and a force that she would swoop in and then stop on a dime and your your presence was immediately subsumed and you got a sense of there's this strong woman in the room and i asked I asked this question because of the press release that you guys that your fr- that zaha zHA put out, given the nature of her as a as a uh, presence. With your current clients, your future clients, how are you managing that situation to kind of reassure even the projects that are under construction? How do you how do you go about managing that expectation that one day was there that she was always going to be there with the next when she's not?
2: Well, so far the the response has been incredibly positive, and in, in I mean, of course, all the projects and sites and they're over twenty or 25. Five projects currently under construction they of course will continue there would have never been any doubt about that but also and then we have also a lot of projects uh, let's say another 20 in late stages but we are also in early stages and particularly the projects uh, which we've just had started where there's only an initial pre-concept on engagement the clients seemed all i mean we had nobody falling off they all were wanting to commit and willing to to do those projects and trust us to fulfill those those ambitions which which the initial let's say sketches we have in some of those projects only indicate later stages of course one would one would not see a client you know dropping in a project which already is past planning but what was really encouraging is that that all the just recently started and early projects literally all of them and, and quite a lot will continue and also since us uh, passing there were a number of pending competitions and a short list and we've won many of them of course the big test would be what about totally new design which we now working on now is having starting to conceive without Zaha's presence how would that be received um, can we maintain that sense of let's say that artistic credibility which has been attributed to her in the in in, in the at large in, in the world at large? Can we still aim for? And I think that's what we have to do because our organization is only geared towards buildings of uh, cultural significance in major centers of the world, buildings of uh, with, an, with an innovative edge, and that, uh, yeah, the market we're addressing, we, we, we're we not geared up to address a kind of bread-and-butter market, and our people wouldn't stand for this. So so we have to make that credible that, that here is a, a collective and uh, – kind of a, an artistic and intellectual DNA, also, of course, through my person, uh, that needs to be now projected into the mass, on the mass media plane, what I've already established, let's say, in all internal organs and discourses of the field. And I think all the, the this, I'm not sure we'll ever have star power, but any major reputation out in the world is, of course, initially, uh, also in Zaha's case and, and in my case too, built within the field and within the discipline through peers, academia exhibitions, lecturing, publications, etc. So I think the premises of making that credible to the outside are there. And I think I've got the huge wave of support also from from friends, peers, critics, that they would, would like us to succeed and not kind of disintegrate.
1: Patrick, I'd like to ask a little bit. I mean, it's very exciting, of course, to think of you all going forward. Uh, I would like to ask a little bit about how this notion of the DNA that Zaha put through the whole firm and how she mentored young architects in the firm. Uh, In particular, I would like to ask about how she mentored women, but obviously she never wanted to make a big deal of that. There was that beautiful article in Rememory written in the New York Times by Tegan Bukowski, and she talked about how Zaha really was always encouraging. I I wonder if you could talk a little more about that.
2: Well, the, I mean, she's been a teacher all her life. I mean, so, so, so she, when I think she took over I and mean, she was teaching with Ram and Elia and then took over the unit, she moved straight from student into teacher mode and has done that, uh, throughout the early eighties in, in, in the AA. She stopped that and she was invited to Columbia. And then when I came on the scene, we did studios in America and as I said, Columbia twice, Harvard, Chicago. She then uh, Yale about five, six times. And then we, she became a professor in Vienna for the last 15 years. And we always taught together, but she, that was the, the main arena where we also fostered and drew our staff because that's the training ground. That's also the, the, the talent search. And we've hired extensively. Her students from all the Yale students, Columbia students, Harvard students, Vienna students, and of course a huge amount of my own students. I'm teaching for, for twenty years at the AA with the with the Design Research Lab. So so that's where you get you kind of bond where you have a direct line from very Young Architect or not yet Architect to the star Zaha Hadid and. And that was a very direct and close relationship, which in that in many ways continued in the office, but that's where you establish that relationship, which is harder for somebody stepping behind. Of course, a lot of people from all over the place, but for those students of hers in particular, it was, it was the group she, she kept working with and wanting to work with. And we created in the firm, we have three profit center led by major longstanding staff, superb professionals. And leaders, is these these three three clusters who hold contracts and projects, but we also have this what we call the ZH cluster, which it was myself and Zaha with our students and ex students creating a front end design milieu in in a room, and that's the way they way way we worked mentoring on the design, and uh, that's all design oriented, and uh, so this was uh, they didn't make any difference between. Female and male students, there were most probably roughly 50-50 uh, in this group. But there wasn't a particular interest in mentoring women. I don't think so. Always oriented towards what we can achieve, not, we're not pedagogy. Right. Even right. my teaching was never pedagogy. It was a research and result-oriented uh, venture.
3: So, Patrick, one of the things that that always struck me is that um, as public as Zaha always appeared to obviously as professionals it always appeared that she was very pri- as a very private individual even in the public environment and and we have uh, on the website there's a great photo of her as a as a young girl and i wonder when she lived what would appear to be such a purpose driven life that what was she like in, when she's not talking about what was she like when she wasn't talking about architecture or what did she kick back did she enjoy things that you know that would strike us as professionals that were kind of um, unique to her personality that would not we wouldn't know about her given um, what little we do know or at least from the
2: well she was she was um, she had a lot of time and interest in art and loved though and had many artist friends. She loved, for instance, uh, Anish Kapoor is one of the artists she she was close to and also uh, loved his work and was inspired by it. She looked at all, uh, she extensively looked at what's going on in architecture and collecting books of architecture. Uh, She was very much fond of, like I guess many of us are, of the heroes of modernism, but also, you know, all the modernism through the 60s and 70s, she was a great Uh, She knew a lot of this and she had extensively traveled and visited buildings. So she has a big knowledge and reference base. So that was her interest. So it's still all architecture. But she was also a great consumer of fashion and a great uh, in the know about fashion, knowing all the current designers for decades, a huge, wonderful collection of of by now vintage clothes and uh, voracious consumption of ever new design items and clothes was one of our big pleasures. Of course, incredible social life with 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 going out for lunches and dinners nearly daily, including weekends on the London scene, but also with huge friend networks in Miami and parties every day there and in New York as well. And this it's an incredible social hub because and this goes across all ages and and walks of life nearly because she has an extensive network of friendships with all the ex-students, which goes which go back decades and uh Spread across the world, so wherever we go, in every city, there there are former students, colleagues, ex staff. She's very familiar with and who would always look after and take her around, and she was incredibly loyal to to these people. And so that's kind amazing uh, to me, and and that's where she, in these conversations, where she is, is assimilated all her wisdom, knowledge, and experience. I'm a bit of all the recluse who has been has been reading. Evenings away and weekends and <laughs> and she was out learning in, in the social world I mean of course I also came out quite a bit and more and more so also uh, was was introduced to a kind of social life but uh, she, she, she did much more and, and also to the last minute and, and an incredible network and once once the um, PDAs came out or the iPhone came out that really gave another I mentioned to this because uh, she was continuously on email and, and text messages with a very, very expansive network of friends, which some of them I wasn't even aware of and just came now out. Everybody kind of all the condolence messages, this wave of support and people coming to the room we have created. This is a wonderful Muslim, I think, tradition where we had our gallery for several days just open for friends, architects and others to come and, you know, in a mellow mood, uh, write condolence messages hang around, chit-chat, and, and, and contemplate and have anecdotes. And we continued at the certain Sackler for another few days. So we had the whole week of this gathering, and all the people who came showed up. And I wasn't even aware that they were in, ex- in extensive, nearly daily text messaging with, with Zaha. So so that's, for me, an incredible phenomenon, that shit. She had that uh, because she, in the end, was, she, she was sitting at home and... Uh, um, a lot of the time or traveling and in restaurants but she had the mobile phone going also all the time and she had a whole she has four of them uh, different for the US and the, for the email for the for the phoning there's a whole collection of them and that was her network while being out and about and in the last few years she didn't have a seat in the office anymore But she came to the gallery or to the big meeting rooms and uh, but kept a very very close control over everything what was going on because everything was messaged and and emailed to her and she would continuously respond to and comment on this that's the way she she, she operated but again that that you know unbelievable social animal and allowed with with, with with inspired this incredible loyalty and have that loyalty and i don't know where she found the time to give all these people the sense of being intimate with them i'm still staggered by by this
0: well, moving forward, knowing that Zaha was, was, uh, closely involved with, with, uh, all of the projects going through the office. Can you talk a little bit about how Zaha Deed Architects is going to move forward and, um, and also maybe, uh, mention some of the expansions into other cities that we recently just read about today in the New York Times?
2: Right. Yes. So, so, I mean, the, the work has, I mean, evolved all along and we have, uh, I think it's, I'm looking at it in a a historical trajectory of, we have to start the story nearly with the 50 years of modernism, which changed the physiognomy of this planet, and which started in 1919 1920 at the Bauhaus, perhaps, and with Le Corbusier and a handful of heroes who who created a new DNA, a new paradigm, a new style. Which in the first decade, which, which went from urbanism to architecture and theories into product design and was a, was a total new makeover of the, in the end, after several decades, of course, of growth and expansion. And that's for me a paradigm. I mean, this, this, this paradigm kind of grind to a halt or fell apart in the late seventies and in 1980, uh, there was, you know, the, the new beginning perhaps, or perhaps even earlier through postmodernism, deconstructivism and in a in a sense that the searching of postmodernism that that richness of form making architecture speak that drawing back of historical forms representing the re-inhabitation of the city after several decades of spreading out into the suburb and green fields that's also the problematic of deconstructivism that intensification that layering that making complex and out of this evolved what we now call parametricism. And there's a, there's this kind of trajectory from fundamental new repertoires in a new condition, which I call post network society. You start with these avant-garde searching nearly in like an art space and you tease out first manifesto projects, small projects, which aren't yet delivering, but still pointing beyond to new possibilities. So we've done that for a decade, like modernism in the twenties, where it, where it was just sketches and and artworks. And then it became, you know, small pavilions, small houses, the villas, the Barcelona pavilion after the first decade. And then it started to scale up with larger buildings and then really ripped across the globe. And that's my ambition and, 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 and vision. And we've matured the work from, you know, a manifesto building like Vitra, all these exhibition spaces and, and pavilions, if you like, and, and, and mock-ups of a potential spatiality into large-scale mature projects, which deliver that new degree of fluidity, complexity, dynamism, complex, very order, how I said, in our major cultural centers, now airports, train stations. And this is a real uh, attempt to roll out and. With that uh, maturing from avant-garde into mainstream comes a disciplining of the work, which also uh, needs to be aestheticized as an an artistic refinement where where these kind of new complex and, let's say, information-rich and resonating forms... Which are inter-articulate and communicate with each other now are disciplines through engineering logics, that's structural logics, shells and tensile structures, skeletons. This is what we do, start to introduce in the last few years. We move away from the, let's say, the relative arbitrariness of nerve surfaces and, and blob figures into, let's say, more disciplined, but still in the same spatiality mode, a kind of compositions, arrays of shells moving into tensile structures. When we come to towers and their facades, they're driven by structural logic of a differentiated skeleton, environmental logic of window perforations and and, uh, maybe shading elements, which now gradate and radiate around and representing the various environmental conditions. Internal logics of social processes, flows of people, gatherings and dispersals and reconfigurations. We're now modeling with crowd simulation and life process modeling. So it's a maturing which you can feel and sense it loses some of that sketchy, nearly cartoon-like, but partially willfulness, which is a necessity from initially trying to state and see how you can not only imagine a form, then you think of how you can actually build a form, create a form, control a form, but not yet with these rationalizing logics, which put an economic let's say constraint on it put could a high performance pragmatic constraints all these constraints are now flowing in and now we're having really and that's what has been disciplining the work and you also feel and see it in the work, and that's what i'm pushing forward it's the push into the mainstream but also with these uh, utilizing the intelligence of computational uh, simulations form finding techniques optimization techniques uh, we, we, we haven't Aesthetic impact, but in the in, in the direction we've been pursuing anyway, and that will slow more and more. Actually, uh, would proliferate more the range of formal characters we're going to we going to generate, and also will kind of, in a sense, uh, slowly we have done will leave behind the, the initial Zaha signature, which came out of the particular constraints of her way of working. Because I feel a signature recognizability is always, in fact, some kind of a limitation. It's not that one some that one desires to have that. And Zaha was always fighting this and I, that, but that you have the certain routines you can't jump out of your skin that will remain, makes your products recognizable in ways which actually are self-limiting. Sometimes clients would like to see that, but no, we don't. We would like to suffuse into a great paradigm where we don't need to distinguish our project maybe from another parametric project. And to we surprise ourselves within the paradigm and that is the way I'm driving. That's the way Zara was driving. And we, oftentimes we have to rule by general principles to bracket and, and, and channel creativity, but also by taboos. No more tilted walls, no more linear light lines, no more series of six <laughs> which became cliches within the firm. You know, don't rely anymore only on, on let's say, on, 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 on white and, and glossy white. I mean, we've <laughs> gone through that So, so because that becomes... So there's there's really the urge to 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 innovate and enrich the work, so it becomes in fact not that recognizable anymore as as a Zaha Deed project. And she also felt like that. She she was actually wanting this and worried about this recognizability because it meant that it wasn't it wasn't principled and innovative enough, but was was locked in. it's kind of our particular methodologic constraints we're trying to break through and we do that through also we have established this code computational design department or group this little research group where we do really have a number of people doing pure research geometry research certain fabrication logic and the impact on geometry research where we read scientific papers where we work with collaborating engineers and, and people that's the way forward in terms of maturing the repertoire to make it really global best practice a paradigm and we want to win i mean we've won Beijing airport we have not, and a number of other airport projects large mixed use complexes highly commercial projects where where you really have to hit we hit home with not only pointing towards future potentials but realizing lightness uh, legibility productivity and compete not with a promise but but with delivering the, the, the global best practice that's where we're going and uh, this this means also, of course, we're building a professional organization uh, where we actually haven't imported that many. We have a few characters we had hunted in, but a lot of it is also uh, growing out of our own group of people, ex-students who are with us, uh, some of them nearly 20 years now.
3: Patrick, one quick question for you. you you've been with uh, ZHA for what nearly 30 years you've known zaha for
2: i've known her for 28 years and then i yeah 27 and a half years let's say
3: so i would imagine this this her loss has hit you pro- quite profoundly and i just wanted to know how you have have you had a chance how are you doing for one and have you had a chance to reflect on some, on on the the relationship that you two have had you've you've pretty much grown up together in this profession you've you've altered the conditions by how architecture considered in the world, how people practice the profession, how it's represented. How has her loss affected you personally?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're still kind of working through this. Uh, I mean, I mean, it is tough because I've had at least 10 phone calls every day as well as face-to-face contacts. For most of the day with, with Zaha and uh, of course oftentimes traveling here and there together of course I did a whole series of trips on my own but there's there has been this continuous dialogue and bouncing of ideas uh, but yeah so that's that's a tough one and when the phone rings are always kind of you know still have to kind of it was always her usually so
3: Aww. it's not
2: quite weeded out as a, as, a, as a gut reaction but but what I think what what's you know but the time of this kind of reflection is is, is is in short supply. I mean, I, there's a lot of challenges, and I have to, of course, to to step up and be much more out and about. So I have uh, my adrenaline is kind of I'm on an adrenaline high to some extent. Uh, not sleeping much, losing weight, which I wanted to lose anyway. But <laughs> but it, it's energizing, and 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 I think there's a there's a sense that we also have to have to break through in the next few months. And I think the whole firm feels like this, and we're pulling together and also these moments of contemplation and mourning and everything there's been a kind of unusual bonding between my person and many of our staff and also some of the friends so so that has it's it's an unusual and, and, and feeling which is overall encouraging and so that's the way I feel I feel somehow um still sad but also energized and and just on I'm kind of burning 24 hours a day within with with, with thoughts and scenarios and all the the things which need to be done to make the, the connections and and maintain the connections and find new connections and so but we have a wonderful infrastructure here with lots of opportunity initiatives which we can bring forward to now to show to us internal that we that we that we are uh, capable of of making this happen and show show the world. So we have our gallery which we can use. We uh, where we have events, roundtables, and, and pop-up shops like we used to have, but maybe more intensified. We have institutions. We have a big lecture hall where we give internal lectures every two weeks. We invite lecturers. We we anywhere. We see ourselves as this kind of mothership of a whole movement. I mean, there's so many co-evolving um, co-protagonist in this new paradigm of computationally empowered design intelligence, which uh, we all know through largely through academic, through conferences, through lecturing, through all this peer group, the younger peer group, which which works in the same direction and we also have benefited from. I think the last 20 years, uh, there's been a sense of being submerged in, the, in, 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 in really the collective movement. And we are close to these 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 colleagues and I think the, these ties will become closer and maybe we can we can establish collaboration with some of these these figures who have pushed forward in with research but haven't established yet a potent a potent office. I certainly always felt a mentor of a larger movement and I want to uh, this this kind of strong group of 400 which needs to send out its tentacles will also connect to a lot of these friends and and collaborators and and co protagonists so so that's one of my my visions my visions of a generous open house and platform perhaps evolving into a new kind of organization which which allows for for internal stars and protagonists as well as for some of those friends to maybe tie up with and 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 let some of those creative juices become reality quicker than they would otherwise be if they had to you know, go through the whole trajectory from small to medium to large firm. And I often had reflected about the idea of a super group or umbrella organization. And I've always regretted that, for instance, the inverse happened with a firm like OMA, which I've always admired and watched, that 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 OMA has had kind of lost so many of the great protagonists who had to then step back and establish from scratch or in small and grow back to a similar outfit like OMA. So now we have several of these firms and I sometimes wonder what if they would have stayed all together and not lost that time, but had gone out big. And my my vision is also, I've been always a great admirer of firms like Foster and Partners as well as Richard Rogers, Richard Rogers, the, the, the kind of incredible intricacy of detail and articulation and perfection of these products. Uh, they're a real shining example. Just recently, the tower, the Leadenhall Tower in, in, in London, I've been visiting several times. It's a stunning achievement. And I think something like this as to, to set ourselves against that, but now introduce that organic differentiation. So we have, let's say, the high end of the mechanical age, Super sophisticated in many ways, uh, incredibly powerful and maybe not yet fully matched by our tower products. But as, as a channel, I want to, I want to do that. For that, we need this kind of very, very large organization and draw in talent. Uh, so, in this respect to Foster, the idea of a global design brand uh, where, where you, where you really deliver into nearly every major city of the world, the top address, the top uh, leading edge. Institution building, because that's what we are. That's what I see with the avant-garde into mainstream. But of course, the most urgently required, uh, the most high-value and high-performance and high-powered arenas, companies, and institutions will, who 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 are at the cutting edge of this civilization, at the forefront, will also be congenial, find that congeniality and enhancement, and push forward to tying up with the best architecture so and then the rollout and as it were trickle down comes later and for that we need to be very very strong organization and that's what i'm aspiring to if we manage to come through what might be very very difficult six nine twelve months where we have to uh, that the ambition is to to grow this firm into a whole new type of firm so that expansionary spirit was was always my spirit and we of course we were very lucky in the in maybe it was a slightly delusional period from 2004 to 2008 that's where we grew for let's say from a firm of 70 80 to a firm of 450 but that was had a lot to do with my nearly reckless optimism and and making things happen attitude and of course we had a number of Years now of stagnation and, and 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 frustration with a lot of the the financial collapses and and revolutions and but if if there is another wave another normalization my ambition is this of course it's at the moment it's just a promise and an ambition and that to make that insanely great a uh, larger umbrella firm.
1: Well, Patrick, we so much appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts on the future of the practice with us and taking the time to discuss Zaha's legacy and the future of the firm. We're so excited to see what comes next. And thanks again.
2: Oh, thank you so much for paying attention to this. Of course.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks to everyone out there listening. And thanks again to Patrick Schumacher for joining us this week. If you have any questions, comments or suggestions about this podcast, you can reach us on Twitter. At our Twitter account, ArcSessions, or with hashtag ArcConnectSessions. You can also send us an email to connect at and we welcome all ratings and reviews on iTunes. Watch out for our next Connect Sessions one to one episode released each Monday. This Monday, we will be featuring Amelia's conversation with LA architect Clive Wilkinson. Until then, talk to you next week.